Well, uh, good morning, and uh, again, welcome to JVC. My name is uh, John, one of the pastors here, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. Uh, glad everyone is worshiping with us on this uh, Sunday morning. And we are continuing in our series through the book of Luke. We're looking at Luke chapter 5, 12 to 26. Uh, Luke 5, 12 to 26. So Luke 5, starting in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, Lord. Lord, that these words would be living words for our soul, that you, through the power of your Spirit, would speak your words of life and cleansing into the hearts and the minds, the souls of every single person that is here today to wash us, to free us, to make us new in Christ and looking more like Jesus. And we pray that you would do this thing that only you can do. And it's in Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Well, uh, two weeks ago, I took uh, our three girls backpacking, and uh, we tried a loop up in American Fort Canyon. And we did this loop two years ago, uh, but there was no water when we went out there. All of the streams and the beaver ponds that I had been counting on uh, were completely bone dry. 
Well, this year I was thinking, where should we go backpacking? I thought, let's go back up there. It was beautiful, and certainly there will be water this time. There won't be any problem with water. I was wrong, though. There was way too much water up there. Uh, the dry creek beds were completely overflowing. And that first afternoon, as we were trying to make it just two some miles up to our camp, we spent double the time that I had planned because of all the times we had to cross back and forth over this overfull creek. And it was tough. It rained as well, which then dropped the temperature pretty good. And uh, it was Haley's first time backpacking. And so all of us kind of encouraged her and told her things like, oh, we know backpacking's hard, or, you know, it'll be worth it in the end, even though it's hard. It can be it can hurt you sometimes, but it'll be fun, trust us. And one of the best parts of backpacking is the shower afterwards. It is pointless to try to keep yourself dry, or sorry, clean when you're out there. It's impossible to keep your legs from having big splotches of mud on them and a powder coat of dust. Your nails are going to be black. Your legs uh, will be covered in dirt. Just embrace it and realize that when you get back, and step into that hot shower and watch all that dirt just run off your body and the shower pan turn to mud, it is one of the best feelings that I know. You don't appreciate being clean unless you've spent some time getting dirty. And we're working through a series in the book of Luke called The King Has Come. And one of the things this gospel shows us is that the king of creation has come in the person of Jesus. And one of the things the king has power to do is to make people clean, both externally, their diseases, their sicknesses, their infirmities, but also internally, their sins, their failures, their guilt, their shame. Jesus can make you clean. Do you want to be clean? Have you been living in the dirt? Have you been hiding certain parts of your life in the darkness because you don't want to see other people to see the stains there? Jesus can make you clean. And that's all I want you to remember this morning. Jesus made me clean. Jesus made me clean. And we're going to look at it in two stories. First, cleansed from leprosy. And then second, cleansed from sin. So first, cleansed from leprosy. Jesus is still at the beginning of his ministry, and he's kind of going around these various small towns in the region where he grew up, uh, talking and teaching and healing people. And this man with leprosy comes. And again, you remember Luke was a doctor, and we see some of that uh, medical influence in his writings here, where he says that this man was covered in leprosy. Uh, the New Living Translation says he had an advanced case of leprosy. And he comes and he falls down at Jesus' feet, begging to be healed. And notice his humility. He doesn't come up demanding it. He says, no, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, it's worth taking a few moments to talk about what is leprosy and skin diseases. It's something that shows up a lot in Scripture. And notice here that the man doesn't ask to be healed. He asks to be made clean. And then notice that Jesus responds not by saying be healed, but what? Be clean. In the Jewish world, uh, disease and sin were often intertwined in various ways. And if we can step inside the biblical world for a moment, uh, maybe we can understand why this is the case. God in the Old Testament 
told the Israelites to be holy because he is holy. Israel was God's representatives in the world, and that's to represent God. They had to mirror or mimic who God was. And so if God was holy, the Israelites were then called to be holy as his representatives to show the world what God was like. Now, holy is one of those religious words that maybe is hard for us to understand. We don't really use it very often. I think perhaps a, a, an alternative word would be perfect. It's, it's, it's not perfect in getting at what holy means, but it, it's good enough. Perfect. You are to be perfect because God is perfect. And we see all of Old Testament, the structure and the whole Israelite civilization was built up around this concept. So if you remember the temple that the Israelites built, and at the very center of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the place where God's presence was most manifestly present in the world. And what was the room called that the ark was in? The holy of holies, or the most holy place. It was the most perfect place, a perfect cube made of gold. It was the most perfect place, and thus it was the place where God could dwell. And then if you think of that holy of holies as kind of the center of a bullseye, and the rest of Israelite society and even the world kind of in concentric circles that go out from that center place in the temple, we see there's almost something of a, a spectrum of holiness, that the more holy you are, the closer you can get to the center of the bullseye where God is at. So in the room outside of the holy of holies is what was called the holy place. And if you were a priest and did certain things to cleanse yourself, you could go into that room of the temple. Then if we go out to the next ring, there was the courtyard of the temple, outside of the building, but still on the temple grounds. And there, if you were an Israelite who had done certain things to cleanse yourself, you were allowed to go into that space. And it's where the wash basin were and the altar was for sacrifices. And then if you go outside of that, that was the place where the Gentiles could go and other people who were not Jews. But if you had some sort of disease or deformity as an Israelite, you were not allowed into the temple area because you were not perfect. As I said, you can think of it as something as like a, a spectrum of holiness. If you had a disease, if you had a deformity, you had to stay outside of the temple. Now, this kind of rubs us the wrong way because we think, wait, it's not my fault if I get sick or maybe I was born with this or maybe, you know, something happened to me. I was in an accident where I now have the, a deformity. Like, why can't I get close to God because of this thing that I don't have any control over? Now, we've got to remember, though, that God set up these rules, so we shouldn't just dismiss them, but we should try to understand them. And remember, the idea of how close you can get to God was tied to how holy you were. And if holy means perfect in every sense, well, if you're sick, you aren't perfect because you're sick. And if you have something wrong with your body, it's broken. It's why you go to the doctor or you want it to be healed or you get a cast, right? You can't, you aren't perfect, so you can't get that close to God. And people would continually kind of move up and down that spectrum of holiness as they went through life. So if you get a rash, or you touch a dead body, or you come in contact with an unclean animal, you would kind of get knocked down a few steps in that spectrum of holiness, and it would impact your ability to worship. 
So that when we read passages in the Old Testament, like Numbers 5.3, where God says, send the unclean outside the camp so they will not defile the camp where I dwell among them. Hopefully this makes a little bit more sense. We see this idea that where God is present, what is around him must reflect his holiness. And the less holy you are, the kind of more distance you need from God. So imagine someone who has an advanced case of leprosy. That's already tough enough. But now you are cut off from the rest of society. You're cut off from the family. You have to live outside of the city. And outside of these ancient cities, there would be these homeless encampments where the unclean and the sick would go and live apart from everybody else. And so with that background, now imagine our story here where here is this man who hobbles up and everyone knows what's wrong with him. They can see it. And they all take two steps back because they don't want to catch his disease. They turn their eyes away from looking at him because his skin looks more like fungus than flesh. His joints are deformed. And everyone's saying, I don't want to get too close to him or else I'm going to become unclean. Now, many of us uh, probably have done our best to forget COVID and everything that was uh, around that. It wasn't that long ago, but at least for me, it feels a bit like a dream. And every one of you, I'm sure, had that experience where someone texts you or you get a notification that says, hey, guess what? You've been exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID. And what, what would you normally do? Well, then you had to say, oh, shoot, I've got to now quarantine for a certain number of days, right? 10 days or whatever it might be until I know that I'm clean and then I can go and rejoin society. And so many of you had to cancel birthday parties or funerals or reschedule weddings and other important events because someone got COVID or someone that was supposed to have this event got exposed to someone that had COVID. And that is actually what it was like to live in those Old Testament days, right? You would get exposed to something that was unclean and then you would have to wait a certain amount of time. You would have to, in some sense, quarantine yourself until you let the time pass or you did a certain number of things so that you could become clean again. So everyone sees this man with leprosy and they're saying, I don't want to go into quarantine for 10 days. They take two steps back. And yet Jesus, though, stays right in the middle. And now there's this wide circle of spectators with Jesus, the Holy One, and this man who is unclean right next to him. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and he begs him, if you are willing, make me clean. And everyone is wondering, what is Jesus going to do? And he reaches out his hand and he does something that shocks every single one of them. He touches him. Now, Jesus could have just said something, and yet here it's like he's making a point. I'll touch this man who's unclean, who you all are afraid to even get within 10 feet of. You can probably hear the gas. Everyone else is thinking, well, you know, I think I'll wait for Jesus to heal me because I don't want him to touch me after he touched him. And Jesus looks this man in the eye with his hand on him and says, I'm willing. Be clean. And suddenly what was supposed to happen doesn't happen. Jesus should have become unclean. Jesus would have to go quarantine. And yet, 
Something incredible happens. We're used to these stories, so we miss how revolutionary this was. But every point in human history, essentially, up to this point, if you got in contact with someone who was unclean, you became unclean. But now, before their eyes, in an instant, this crowd watches this man's skin transform from scales and fungus to easy, breezy, beautiful, cover girl worthy skin. You go backpacking, your legs are going to get dirty. You touch someone with a skin disease, you become unclean. But Jesus turns the tides of history. Suddenly, the unclean man becomes clean. And then Jesus tells him to go to the priest and to offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. This ties back to those Old Testament laws that I referenced, right? And Jesus is honoring those laws. God set them up. But he also does it as a way to show the priests that Jesus is a different type of priest. You see, the priests often played an important role in diagnosing some of these skin diseases and declaring whether or not someone was clean now after having sufficiently recovered from a particular disease. But Jesus is showing them, I'm not a priest that just can pronounce people clean. I'm a priest that can actually make people clean. And that man's life was transformed. Imagine living outside in a homeless encampment for decades, shunned by all of society. Every time someone, you cut, you know, as you walk through wherever, everyone walks away from you. And now this man can rejoin society. This brings us then to the second story, cleansed from sin. Well, word about Jesus spreads like wildfire, even though Jesus is kind of trying to contain it. He doesn't want things to get out of hand. And people start traveling from all over the region to come and see him, including a number of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Jesus is in somebody's house, and it is packed. People want to be healed. People want to witness one of these healings. And some guys bring their friend who's paralyzed. But by the time they get there, the house is overflowing, then there's no way they can get in. And it's no wonder they got there late because they had to carry their friend on a mat. And trust me, that is a lot harder than backpacking. And there was no way now to get him in to see Jesus. But they hadn't lugged their friend all this way just to turn back empty-handed. They start thinking, wait, let's go on the roof. And so they scramble up there, a feat in and of itself. Maybe there were stairs, we don't know. And then they look at this roof kind of like the property brothers and they say, you know what would transform this home? A skylight. (laughs) And so they get to work. They don't have tools. They use their hands and their fingernails. They dig through whatever sticks they can find they use to start scraping away the clay roof. Most roofs in Palestine were flat and they had uh, a number of wooden beams that provided kind of the structural integrity for the roof. And then on top of those, you would lay a bunch of branches or reeds, and then you would often overlay a few inches of clay on top of that. And they start scraping it away. Luke tells us they pulled up some tiles. It's possible this house had some roof on, or had some tiles on the roof, although that was more common in the Greek homes in the Mediterranean region. Some commentators think maybe Luke is saying this as a way to make more sense to some of the Greek-speaking readers. We don't know what the case is, but you can imagine the scene. Here's this home. Jesus is in the middle of it. It's far past its maximum occupancy. 
And Jesus is speaking. He's healing people. And suddenly, I mean, it even happens here, right, at church or when you're in a crowd, there's some distraction, some, you know, sound on the roof. People are wondering, what's that sound? And before long, no one's paying attention to the speaker, but they're all wondering what's going on up on the roof. And then some dust starts falling from the roof. It lands on Jesus' hair. People start coughing from it in the air. And then rays of sun break through. And then you see a hand and then a head. And they pop down and say, oh, don't mind us. We're just installing a skylight. And then there would have been a decent bit of time from when that hole was this big to when it was big enough to lower a man down through it. And you got to wonder what everyone is thinking in that moment. (laughs) What is going on here? Should I get out of this house? Is this roof going to hold? You got to wonder what the owner of the house was thinking. Last time I invite Jesus in. And then they lower their friend down. And it takes a lot to impress Jesus. I mean, he's God after all. And yet the text says their faith. And notice It's not just the man's faith who's being lowered down, but it's plural. Their faith, the friend's faith. It's really good to have good friends. Their faith impresses Jesus. He's going to help this man. And he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I wonder what the reaction on that man's face was when Jesus said that. He's like, oh, no, That's not why I came here, Jesus. Can't you tell? I wanted something else. We do know what some of the people were thinking, though. This got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law kind of in a tizzle. They start thinking, who's this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? Only God can do that. Uh, Later on, I'll probably give more details about who the Pharisees are, but for now, we can just say they're people that took following God's law very seriously. And Jesus has just crossed some lines. But Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And suddenly we start to see how Jesus, like a master conductor, is orchestrating everything to prove his point. He's not derailed by demon-possessed hecklers like we saw in previous chapters. He's not put off balance by a guy who's lowered through the roof. He's masterfully orchestrating everything to make his point. And so he looks up at those teachers of the law and the Pharisees, says, why are you thinking this? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to tell a man, get up and walk? On one hand, it's easier for us to say your sins are forgiven because it's really hard to tell if that's true or not. Anyone can say that. You know, anybody, it's very easy for people to kind of utter religious platitudes that are intended to make you feel better but don't actually change anything to make stuff better. And people say, oh, well, don't you know God loves you? Or God's forgiven you, or something good is going to come out of this. And often that's well-meaning, but it doesn't actually do anything to change the situation. It doesn't heal you. These words don't release your burdens. Your heart is still broken. It's easy to peddle religious platitudes. And so for us, it's much harder to say, get up and walk to a paralyzed man, because you're going to know right away whether or not that worked. And now we see Jesus' plan. He's going to show everybody that he has the power to make you clean on the outside as much as he has the power to make you clean on the inside. He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven tritely, but he says it with such effectiveness that as much as a man 
who is paralyzed can get up and walk. And he says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them and went home praising God. This man was lowered through the roof, but he walked out the front door. He didn't have to butt through the crowd. Everyone made a way for him. And everyone was amazed. We've seen amazing things. God can make us clean. Let's tie all this together. Jesus makes me clean. Two things I want you to see. One, he makes you clean on the outside. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, fairly well-known passage where he's talking about how husbands should love their wives, and he compares it. (laughs) He compares it. Maybe a man's going to drop down through the roof now. (laughs) Uh, He compares it to how Jesus loves his people. Ephesians 5, 27. Jesus did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What a beautiful commentary on what we see in our passage. That Jesus' work is to make you, his church, be such that you have no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes. Instead, you will be holy without fault. Now, that's talking about what's on the inside, but it's also talking about what's on the outside. Why? Because external blemishes, diseases, deformities, those things keep you from being perfect. They are the marks of living in a sinful world. They are things that would have kept you outside of the temple, further from God's presence, because to be holy is to be perfect in every way possible. And if you are suffering from an illness, untreatable diseases, test after test with no answers, your body is just breaking down from getting old, you you have some incurable disease, you have a deformity, you know there's something wrong with you, but nobody can tell you what it is. You bear the marks or wounds of abuse. Jesus will make you clean. He will transform you so that you don't have a single spot or wrinkle or blemish. Wounds, death, disease, heartbreak does not have the last word. One day you will be completely unashamed and beautiful. Do you long to be healed? Do you long to be made whole in your body? Doctors, medicine, therapy, all those things play an important and helpful role, but in the end, they are all incomplete because death is coming for everyone, and its fingers are stronger than the best things you can do to fight it. Only Jesus can make you holy and whole. And Jesus makes you clean on the inside, too. The irony of Jesus' question about which is easier is that from our perspective, as I said, it's easier to just tell someone their sins are forgiven, right? And and then you move on. It's far harder to tell someone to get up and walk. But I think from Jesus' perspective, it's actually flipped. Because Jesus doesn't offer religious platitudes just to make you feel better. He offers real solutions to actually take the sin out of you. 
And how does he do this? He makes you clean by himself becoming unclean. And that is what has happened on the cross. Jesus takes the worst about you and layers it on himself and then goes into God's presence. And what happens when something unclean comes before a holy God? It is consumed. It is killed. It is devoured. Which is exactly what happened to Jesus when he hung on the cross. Jesus is the one who is cast outside the camp. He doesn't die in Jerusalem. He dies outside of the city gates. He is the one who is forsaken by his father because he's been made unholy, unclean. Isaiah 53 puts it so powerfully where it's speaking of Jesus. It says, he, Jesus, was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. When we talk about that forgiveness, that cleansing that Jesus offers, the forgiveness for the things that you hate about yourself, forgiveness for the things that you keep buried down deep, forgiveness for the things that you feel incapable of changing, forgiveness for the things whose shadow still haunts you right now, The forgiveness that Jesus offers isn't a band-aid for a bullet wound. It's something that is as real and tangible as watching a paralytic get up and walk out the front door. Because Jesus offers to dig every molecule of sin out of you and place it on himself so that you can be clean. He endured hell so that you can enjoy heaven. He was cast outside of the camp so that you can come home to God. And that is the only way there. Do you want that? Do you want to be clean? Then run to Jesus. Stop telling yourself, oh, I'm not that bad. Stop making excuses for your sins. Stop thinking, okay, I can fix myself. I just got to try harder. This week, I'll get it. This week, I'll stop doing that thing. You need to run to Jesus. You need to tear down those walls that are keeping you from being fully engaged with him. Jesus didn't forgive this man because of all his good works. This man couldn't do much. He forgave him. Because this man wouldn't let a wall or a little ceiling get in the way of him and Jesus. He wanted Jesus more than anything else. And as he lay there on that roof, probably helping his friends as much as he could, scraping with his own hands, his fingernails, getting dirt underneath them, trying to dig through that clay, pull away that brush, anything that he could do to get to Jesus because he believed he will make me clean. Maybe you've never gone backpacking. 
you should. I think it's great. <laughs> or just skip showering for a few days. Make sure you work out in the 100 degree heat and roll in the dirt. And then wait a few days and a shower will never feel so good as you watch all those that dirt just wash off your body. In order to realize how good it feels to be clean, you got to know you're dirty. Are you willing to admit how dirty you are? How sin affects every corner of our being? And it's really scary to be honest like that. But nothing feels better than finally accepting it and realizing that he can make you clean. And he wants to, he longs to when you come to him in humility. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you could make us clean. Lord, there are so many ways in which we long for it. And Lord, in this room, there are probably so many things that we hide right now, so many secrets we hold, so many things we've done that we're still so deeply ashamed of, so many wounds that we bear from the sins of others against us. And Father, we ask that you would show each person here that Jesus can make them clean. We pray this in his name. Amen.